Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. There's a scripture there, uh, a principle of truth that I want to preach on tonight. And then we're going to go over to Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to go there also uh, tonight. And I want to read a couple passages of scripture. You know, the last day or so, yesterday, uh, I was in Washington, D.C. and was able to be uh, at the rally that was there. And uh, we had gone there to um, be at uh, a Save America rally that was put on by uh, peaceably gathered pastors that was having a rally there. As you know, uh, there was also the rally uh, that had to deal with the election. Yesterday, there was the certification of the elect- election, and so we were there for that also. And we were also there not just for what we felt like was going on with the election, but I was there because I felt like, um, you know, we should not just be worried about our election system, but we ought to be worried about uh, who we're electing into office and that we need to continue to pray that I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I'm not going to live in a communist nation. And I'm not going to live in a nation that is Marxist. I'm not going to live in a nation that's going to take away our religious liberties and our freedoms. And I'm going to stand for that. Why? Because the next generation deserves that. How many know we got to fight for the next generation? And we've got to make sure, because I want to tell you, the things that are being indoctrinated into our children and being indoctrinated into the, to our culture at this hour, we need to begin to stand up for righteousness and begin to pray for our nation and begin to stand and not be moved. And so, but yesterday we were at a rally. Let me just say this to you guys. And I know you. some of you already know this. I don't even have to tell this to you. Do not believe what you hear in the media. I'm just telling you, do not believe what you hear in the media. Because they lie. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know they lie? I know that's hard for some of you to take, but the media lies. And, uh, and I saw it with my own eyes. It's not just like I'm just saying that. I, got, I saw some stuff with my own eyes that I'm going to share with you tonight because I want you to understand what is happening in our world. And uh, how many know, let God be true and let every man be a liar? Amen? Because God is true. Uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 11, I want to read this passage of Scripture um, that is found. I want to begin reading in verse seven, 15, actually. Verse 15, I want to read it, and then we're going to go to Second uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Verse 16, And the twenty and four elders who sat who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, and they should be judged, that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. You you should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and noise and thunderings and earthquakes and great hail. That's a powerful verse of scripture, and what that tells us is that God reigns. God will, in the end, God gets the final say. How many know there's no kingdoms on this earth that can rise up, that can overthrow God? And I just wanted to read that to you tonight because I want you to be aware God is the one who lets nations rise and nations fall. But there's coming a day when when he is going to take control of all things and he is going to rule and reign from his throne. And God is in control. If you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, I want to read uh, some verses of scripture to you there uh, which coordinates with what I want to share with you tonight and what I believe God has put on my heart for you. In, in Philippians chapter 2, actually, let's just, read, um, let's just read verse 15 for the sake of time, and then I'm going to go back and read some of the passages to you as we go along. 
But verse, let's read verse 14 and 15. And it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let's read verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice also with me. Verse 15 is the key verse tonight that I want you to see. And it says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It says that we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so how many know that is an adequate description of our time, of the times in and history that we live in. Matter of fact, that is a description really of all history. Every generation in some way is a manifestation of the crookedness and the perverseness of the human heart. But you and I can say tonight, we know tonight, that we do live in the midst of a very crooked and perverse generation. How many know that we are seeing, seeing it in our time, and it's preventing, presenting itself very boldly. And in this text, what it says to us is this, that we have uh, the responsibility in this crooked and perverse generation to act as children of God and shine as lights or luminaries to the world. That's why we're here. God put us here to be light. God put us here to be, a, uh, to be children of God in the midst of a perverse, in a crooked and perverse generation. And many of us are feeling the deep disappointment of the events of this past election, a recent election. Maybe you feel that through that we have prayed and prayed God for mercy and, uh, and it seems like all we've gotten was judgment and prayer. But as we watch the power structure of this country being taken over, listen, we're for the first time seeing the power structure of this, com- of this country being taken over by the godless and those who live contrary to Scripture. The power structure of this nation is now being put in the hands of, of godless people who do not recognize the authority of Scripture. Are you all with me? And it's easy to be disappointed, especially um, if you care about righteousness and you care about truth. Because we cherish righteousness, right? We cherish, but our culture is, in, is into deep personal sin and wickedness. And it's not hidden away, but it's flaunted nowadays. It's flaunted, and now we have advocates of that iniquity and wickedness being given political power over us now. We're beginning to see that. We're beginning to see now people who have no disregard for life, no disregard for principles or morals, are now beginning to control our country. They're now in power. The difference was before they didn't hold the power that they used. Now they're holding power over us now. And we are now seeing leaders who advocate fornication, homosexuality, transgenderism, pornography, uh, uh, and all these things in our culture that they, they have advocates for now. And note that, that these advocates of these things have more power than they have had in the past. And so we are people who, who, are, uh, who, who love morality. We love life. We, love, uh, we want God to bring uh, uh, morality back to our nation. But I'm telling you there is an iniquity and wickedness 
that is beginning to be poured out upon this nation, and we are going to have to learn how to deal with that in the midst of it. And we all support law and order, right? But now we have, we have leadership that wants to defund law and order. Police who want to defund it. Do you realize we've had 8,700 protests in the last few months? 574 riots. And of the 8,574 of those riots were mass looting and destruction. Over 2,000 police officers have been hurt in those riots. And they, they were orchestrated and they were choreographed events. And one of them did $70 million in damage. And, and in the midst of that, at times, the police are told to stand down and not to engage. Listen, I'm telling you that we know that persecution will begin to be ramped up against truth. And, and our whole generation is seeking deeper and deeper into iniquity and the hardness against the Scripture. I'm telling you, our world is sinking deeper and deeper into iniquity. And the world is becoming harder and harder to the gospel and the message of the Scripture. And so we are becoming now, the church is now becoming more of an unwanted agitator. And, and I'm telling you, that I know that there's been overwhelming disappointment. I also know that the God, I believe, has released... And I think, I, I believe that God has re, is beginning to turn our nation over to what it wants. I believe we're beginning to be turned over to Romans 1. I believe there's a sexual revolution going on. There's a homosexual revolution. Uh, I believe that they're being, we're being turned over to reprobate minds as Romans 1. And we, the nation, is being turned over... And as we are being turned over, the wrath of God, I believe, is going to begin to be poured out over us. So how do we respond? How do we respond in this, in this perverse generation? How do we respond when the wicked are in control? How do we respond when there's no restraint on the ungodly? And, and what is our reaction to this? How are we to respond to those that, of, of this wicked and perverse generation? How are we as Christians? What are we to do? As, as I was coming back last night, as I was driving, as we were driving back, I kept asking God this question. God, how are we to respond in this, in this hour? I'm telling you all, you all have no idea what's coming down the road in the next three or four years. What our government is going to try to pass and what they're going to... You think they've tried to legislate immorality before? Now that they're in full control, you better watch out. Because I'm telling you, they're coming after the church. They are coming after the church. They're coming after the church. They're coming after morality. They're coming up for those who stand for truth. They're going to come after everything that represents godliness in our nation. And we better be ready. But how do we respond? It, it can give us a sense of fear of, what's, of what the future looks like. For And I'm telling you what I'm afraid of and what we need to fight for is for our children and our grandchildren and for the next generation. If you don't fight for them, who's going to fight for them? And, and I posed the question that Francis Schaeffer posed and asked long ago when, when, when a nation began to turn. He said, how then shall we live? What do we do now? I believe, I believe we have some... Uh, instruction right before us that is in this passage of Scripture that I read to you in the book of Philippians from the Apostle Paul. And I wanted to give you and talk about three things uh, in this text. And then I want you to see an, a couple of imperatives that Paul puts in here as an encouragement to you tonight. But I want to talk about the basic realities that navigates through the times that we live in. How do we live? How do we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How are you as believers to live in the midst of this generation right now? When we live in, in a world that we have no idea what's getting ready to happen. But what does the Apostle Paul instruct us? 
I think he wants us to recognize three things tonight. Number one, to recognize where we are, who we are, and how we are to live. Where we are, who we are, and how we are to live. And I'm going to try to get through this quickly tonight and, uh, uh, because I want to take some time to worship together tonight. First of all, where are we? Where are we? I'll tell you where we are. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That would be true of the, of the Philippians uh, who received this letter from Paul also in the city of Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi uh, was a city that was northeast of, in the northeast of Macedonia. It's where modern-day Greece is today. It was a city um, uh, that was on what was called the Ignatius Road, which was a, a way that was traveled very popular through the Roman world. It was a Roman road. Trade went on there. Uh, Philippi was on the banks of a river uh, called Strymon, and it was the water supply. And, um, and what was interesting about the city of Philippi is that there were many gold mines that were discovered there in Philippi. And many gold mines were there, which caught the attention and the attraction of a man by the name of Philip of Macedon. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he is the father of Alexander the Great. And Philippi is named after and was founded by uh, uh, Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. What happened in Philippi is interesting because in 42 B.C., the greatest battle in Roman history was fought there. And 200,000 men engaged in war. And the Battle of Philippi, and it was a, uh, it was a reflect, it reflect the Roman Revolution. Uh, Antony and Caesar had 110,000 soldiers that battled, um, uh, that battled uh, uh, Gaius um, and, uh, uh, help me, Brutus, right? Brutus and Gaius. They had uh, 90,000, and, and it began the massive empire, Roman, to begin the massive beginning of the empire, the Roman Empire, and ended the Roman Republic. It was an assault. Many soldiers settled there in that town. It was a tough town. It was pagan to the bone. It was, if you were a citizen of Philippi, you were also given Roman citizenship, and all the paganism of Rome and idolatry was there. It was a very crooked and perverse city, and the Lord led the Apostle Paul there to establish the first church in Europe in Philippi, and it was on the second missionary journey that Paul was on, Paul and Silas, in the book of Acts 16, and if you remember, Paul and Silas was put in prison there, and, um, um, uh, but the church was interesting. It was a church of believers. It was a poor church. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 8 says that Philippi was called, uh, they called them desperately poor. Uh, they were swimming in a sea of paganism. Um, the cross culture, largely influenced by the ex-Roman soldiers, the church that Paul planted there had been assaulted and attacked. And matter of fact, in, in chapter 1 and verse 28, um, uh, the Apostle Paul says, And not in any way terrified, do not in any way be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. In other words, Paul referenced that they, were, they had been under attack, they had adversaries, uh, and Paul said, listen, don't be alarmed by the persecution. It's for, the, it's for Christ's sake that you suffer. So it was a church that was isolated in the Roman world. It was the only church in Europe. It was a, under a sea of paganism. It was attacked by false teachers. Matter of fact, chapter 3, verse 2 said, uh, it said, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilations. For we, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul warned them, and, and they were attacked by false teachers on every side. And so they were a church that understood uh, Paul uh, wrote this letter to them and as in his fourth year 
of Roman imprisonment that he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. So in spite of all of this, this epistle is called the epistle of joy. Isn't that interesting? That in spite of all that this church had gone through and all that was going on in this church, it was considered the, it was considered the epistle of joy. Paul expected joy in a church in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How many know God can bring joy back to the church of Jesus Christ even in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation? I believe the joy of the Lord can be our strength tonight. And because we know that, that, that He is the one who gives us joy. Um, Jesus used this phrase, crooked and perverse, in Matthew 17 and Luke 9 when he was describing the unbelieving, perverse generation of the Jews. Um, uh, the, it was the general description for the world. In verse 15, the word crooked comes from the Greek word, which means scolios in the Greek. It means, it's where we get our word scolios. It means to be crooked or to be twisted or to be bent or to be, um, uh, to be uh, re. Re, re, uh, to be out of sync with the standard, uh, twisted in terms of truth and virtue. So it was a crooked, and you know the word iniquity in Scripture, I've said this to you before, comes from the word which means bent, to be bent. Iniquity is, is, is our soul nature. It is the nature, our sin nature. The iniquities uh, that are in us is our sin nature. Iniquity means to be bent also, be met, bent towards something. That's why some of you in your lives, you were bent toward certain sins because they were generational. They were iniquities that were passed down from generation to generation. This word crooked here means that this generation was a generation that was twisted, that was bent, that, uh, that had no standard. They were twisted in terms of virtue. And so... I want to read to you a couple of passages of Scripture tonight. We're going to be in the Word a little bit. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, uh, Proverbs 2 and verse 11, it says this, Discretion will preserve, you, will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. For those who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. In other words, there are people who walk in a crooked way, and, and, and Paul said that in his day it was a crooked and perverse generation. I'm telling you, we're living in an hour and a very twisted time that we live in. I'm telling you, truth and virtue is hard to be found in this hour. How many know God wants to, how many know God wants to bring revival so that, so that we can, he can bring healing to this crooked and perverse generation? And so Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 8, I want to read this to you. The Bible says this. It says, the way of a guilty man is perverse, but as for the pure, his work is right. In other words, uh, uh, the world, uh, this describes Paul's day, describes uh, Jesus' day. It described the way the world was back in Solomon's day. And it describes the way the world is today. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 says, Be saved from this crooked generation. How many know that's the call of the church is to be saved from this crooked generation? I'm going to read Isaiah 59 to you, which is a very powerful passage of Scripture. I preached on it a few weeks ago. Isaiah 59 and verses 7 and 8. I want us to see what life is without God. Life without God. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace have, not, have they not known and there is no justice in their ways. They made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes the way shall whoever whoever takes that way 
shall not know peace. How many know you can't find peace in the midst of walking in unrighteousness and walking in a crooked world? And so those that do not know God, they walk in a crooked way. The the word perverse means, uh, in the Greek, it means to distort. It means that they were, uh, that's, it means to be distorted. And, and that means that uh, uh, thereby supernaturally removing morality. Listen, we're living in an hour when they are removing morality and religion out of the midst of our nation and among our people. And I'm here to tell you that this is a uh, description of the godless world of the early church. They were twisted and perverse the word generation means a given time or a period, that, and that's where we are. I'm telling you, that is where we are today. It is where we are, and we need a move of God. We need God to touch us again. Who would ever think that we live in an hour when politicians would be so conniving and so calculating that they would want rioting and destruction in order to be able to present their agenda of wickedness. Did you ever think you'd live in an hour when you'd see men and women who would pursue wickedness and destruction so that they can live in the lawlessness of their life? Are y'all hearing me tonight? Y'all understand we're living on the brink of, a, of the backbreaking brink of our nation? I'm telling you, if God doesn't do something We're headed down a way that we get so far, we may never be able to come back. But I'm believing God. I'm believing God to change and turn things around for us and our nation. But we got to call it what it is. We got to be truthful about where we are. That is where we are tonight. That is where we are tonight. That is where we are tonight. And that is where, listen, Jesus, in John chapter 17, he prayed a prayer, and I want to read this to you. And he prayed a prayer for the church, and he prayed a prayer for those who were his. And this is what he prayed in John 17. And beginning in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. How many know the truth of the word will sanctify your life? Jesus' prayer was, he didn't want, he said, don't pull them out of the world, but protect them. I pray for their protection from Satan while they are here. While they are in the world. And so it's, it's, it's we have reached and we have come to the place um, now where wickedness and unrighteousness has now reached the place of leadership in this nation. And now we know where we are. We know where we are. Number two, who are we tonight? I want us to see in this passage the scripture of who Paul says we are. How do we respond to this perverse and wicked generation? Who are we tonight? Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says that you may become blameless and harmless. It says what? You are children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom what? That you shine as lights in the world. Who are we tonight? There's two things that Paul identifies here about us tonight. Who are we? Number one, we are children of God that are above reproach tonight. How many are thankful you're a child of God tonight? That we are a child of God. That we are children of God. We are not children of the devil. And we are not like the rest of the world. And, and, and we, we do not serve the enemy. And we are children of God. I want to read John chapter 8. I love this passage of scripture. I refer to it many times when I preach because I believe there's a description here um, uh, about the church and, that, and about Jesus that Jesus talks about here in John 8 when he talks about the characteristics 
of the enemy and the characteristics of Satan and who they are. The Bible says, He that sins is of his father the devil. Is that not right? Jesus in verse 12 says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How many are thankful you have the light of life that is in you tonight? How many are thankful you have the light of life? But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I have heard about God. And so that's not the passage I wanted. But the Bible goes on here to talk about that, that Jesus refers here in John chapter 8. He talks about that they, they, those who sin are of their father, the devil. And the Bible says that they are killers and liars. And that the children of the devil, like the rest of the world, the characteristics of their father, the devil. You know, the, how many know the devil is murderous? And that he is a liar. He's a great deceiver. And those who are part of this wicked, perverse, crooked, and perverse generation are those who are murderers and who are liars. I'm telling you, we're living in the midst of, listen, we are aborting millions of babies. This perverse generation are murderers. They go after the innocent. And they're liars. There's deception that is growing throughout this earth. A deception. But we are children of God both by birth and adoption. How many of you know that by being born again, you become a child of God? I'm thankful I'm a child of God this morning, tonight. I'm thankful that I'm part of his kingdom and I am a child of God. I want to read to you 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10, it says this. In this, the children of God and the children are devil are manifest. In other words, what Paul is saying that in this world, there are the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. In other words, what is he saying? That those who, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What is he saying here? There are distinctions of the child of God. And that distinction is, is that you love righteousness. Not only do we love righteousness, but we love one another. We love the brethren. How I many know that's distinctive in the believer? That we should love all forms of righteousness, but we should also love one another. If we can't love one another, how can we love a perverse and wicked generation? If we can't love one another, how can we love the drug addict? How can we love the broken? How can we love the, the man that has lived in sin and produces sin in his life? For we can't, the Bible says. 1 John 3, 1 says... Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Listen, the world doesn't understand our love. It doesn't understand our mercy. It doesn't understand the kind of love that Jesus brings and that He gives to us in our life. So we are to one to be children of God. We're children of God because we love righteousness and we love one another. But who are we? We're also children of light. The Greek word there is the word phastar, which means the light from the sun, the moon, and the stars. It means light. And the and listen, the sun and the moon and the stars did what? They brought light light into the darkness of creation. It was it was luminaries, and we are the light of the darkness into the satanic kingdom of this world, right? Are we not supposed to be light and not in us, through us, as a child of God? If we love righteousness and love one another, God will shine his light through us into this crooked and perverse generation. And verse 15 says that you shall shine as light in the world. That we shall shine as light in the world and as lights in this world. We are a light. We are to shine. As Isaiah 49, 6 says... That we are to be, Isaiah says, that God's people are light to the nations. We are salvation to reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus, 
resides in us as light in the world. Matthew 5, Jesus said, we are the light of the world. And we are the light of the world in, a, in darkness. We are the light of the world in a crooked and perverse world. We are the light of the world. And, and God protects us from the evil one. We have been sanctified with truth. And you and I are shining this day because we are children of God. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank God of who we are. We are children of light tonight. Hallelujah. Do you realize that when you walk into a room as a believer, that God has given you the ability to be a light for him? That darkness flees. When you show up, darkness must be dispelled when you walk into a room. Hallelujah. If you've got the Spirit of God in you, when you walk in, all of a sudden, all of hell recognizes you are there tonight. Praise God. And so that is who we are. That is who we are. Now we've seen tonight where we are. Now you know who you are in this passage. Now what are we to do? How are we to live in this perverse generation? I want to take you back to set a precedence, back to John chapter 18 tonight. And I want to show you a passage of scripture. This became the revelation to me. This is what the Lord spoke to me on the way home last night as I was praying. Because I'll just tell you, I was very discouraged after yesterday afternoon. And I want to tell you that I had to really pray through it. I had to realize some things. But I'm going to give you a revelation tonight that I want you to leave here with and have an understanding tonight of who God is. And how are we to live? How are we to live in the midst of this perverse, wicked generation? How are we to live in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation? And how many know it's a challenge? And it's going to be a challenge. It is a challenge every day, the way, because here's what I believe. I believe we do live in a parallel universe. I do believe that we live in a parallel universe. I believe that the unbelieving world lives uh, in their trespasses and in their sin, and they do not know the, what the children of light. They do not understand godliness or righteousness. And I believe that we, we, we're living, we live for God in a different realm. Those of us that live for God, we live in a different realm, a different dimension. And so we live in this parallel universe but I want you to see something in the scripture here. I got happy when I read this. And, and it's interesting. In John chapter 8, I want you to look uh, at a verse. In verse 33 here, Pilate is dealing with Jesus. And Pilate uh, called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? He's asked this question, Are you the king? And Jesus eventually responds. And I want you to look at verse 36. Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. And look at the end of verse 36, and it says, but now my kingdom is not from here. What is Jesus telling us? In verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. I'm, I, my kingdom is not from this world. But look at verse 37. Therefore, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What's it say? Everyone who is of the truth, what? They hear the voice of the Lord. How many are glad that as a Christian tonight, as a believer, you can hear the voice of the Lord? How many know you hear his voice tonight? You hear his voice. Why? Because we're from another world. We're part of another dimension in our Christian life. We don't belong to this world. We're just passing through tonight. We're just passing through. We belong to another kingdom that is not seen, that is not of this world, of another dimension tonight. And Jesus said, they hear my voice. And Pilate said to him in verse 38, what is truth, Pilate said. Pilate said, what is truth? Now, this is what I want you to get tonight. I want you to know that his kingdom has no connection. Jesus' kingdom has no connection to the kingdoms of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. 
I'm telling you, the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. You hearing what I'm saying? This whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. How many know we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the scripture says, into the kingdom of his son? Colossians 1 tells us that we've been delivered out of what? Out of the kingdom of darkness. You were saved. You were pulled out of the jaws of hell. You were pulled out of the kingdom of this world. And now you belong to the kingdom of our God, his son, Christ Jesus. You were pulled out of darkness. And so (coughs) the kingdom that belongs to Christ transcends this world. Jesus' kingdom transcends this world. It doesn't get, how many know that Jesus doesn't get its power from the world? His success doesn't come from the world. The, the reality of the kingdom of God, the origin, the nature of the kingdom does not, is not granted from this world. It's of another world. How many know this world cannot approve of, cannot rule, cannot change, cannot overthrow, cannot stop, cannot limit, cannot keep, cannot uh, do away with the kingdom of God. How many know the kingdom of God cannot be removed tonight? His kingdom is not of this world. And it is not moved based upon what this world says. The kingdom of God cannot be voted out. It can't be legislated. They can vote Bibles out of school all they want, but they'll never vote Jesus off the throne. And they'll never vote the kingdom of God. They cannot move the kingdom of God. So in that being said, what Jesus was doing was giving Pilate a kingdom manifesto. He was giving Pilate, in other words, he he was revealing to Pilate that there's a kingdom manifesto. And Uh, I'm telling you there's a day, I read it to you in Revelation chapter 11, there's coming a day when he will halt the existence of all other kings and kingdoms. And Revelation 21 says, he will rule on the earth forever. How many know there's a day coming when Jesus will rule forever? That all the kingdoms of this world will stop and cease and never be no more. Why? Because he will set up his throne on this earth. And he will rule and reign and become king of kings and lord of lords. And I thought to myself as I thought, how do we live in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation? First of all, it's by the understanding that his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is from another world. That there's a day coming when the wickedness of this world will end and be stopped. And the kingdom of our God will be set up in all of the earth. For now the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality to us. It's separated above and beyond the earthly power or authority. And and this world has none effect on his kingdom. It doesn't matter who's in Congress. Listen, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And the Spirit of God comforted me last night coming home as I was praying. Listen to me. It doesn't matter who's in Congress and who's in Senate and who's in the presidency. Because the kingdom of God will always remain. Nothing can harm it. Nothing can hinder it. Nothing can alarm it. Nothing can limit what God wants to do through his kingdom. And no law can change it. No temporal force. His kingdom is in the heart of his believers. They can't take away the kingdom of God out of my heart. Jesus is in me. I have the kingdom in me. I have kingdom life in me. His kingdom is in me, and as long as Jesus is in me, then his rule can rule and reign in my life, and that God can use his people to rule and reign on this earth. Can I tell you that if you will walk under the the impression tonight that we are his child and we are a light in the world, there's nothing that can stop the purpose of God in your life. How many know greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? His kingdom is in you. The embodiment of his kingdom is in you. The spirit of his kingdom is in you. His kingdom is in the heart of the believer. And I believe the church is where his kingdom becomes visible. Why? Because it's built on truth. And so we know where we are tonight. 
We know who we are tonight. And we, how are we to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? We must first understand that his kingdom is far beyond this world. Jesus was letting Pilate know, hey, you may be in control today, but my kingdom is going to come. And there's going to be a day when my voice calls all of my people to rule and reign with me forever and ever. I'm, I'm here to tell you that the wickedness of this world will pass away. I'm telling you that the Stalins and the Hitlers and the Husseins and all, listen, I'm telling you those who live perverse lives in our nation, I'm telling you there's a reckoning day before God. They will stand before God. They may have power today to legislate, but there's a day when God has the last word in our hour. God will have the last word. God will have the last word in this hour. And so there's a couple imperatives as we close tonight that I want to mention to you in this passage I want you to see. And there's a couple imperatives that Paul gives us. And so Paul talks to us, and this is what he says. And he shows us in this passage of Scripture, I want us to see. And so in this parallel universe, how are we to live? I believe he shows us a couple things. First of all, verse 12 of Philippians 2. Look what he says in this verse. Therefore, my, my brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also now the more in my absence. Look what it says. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, the first thing that he tells us and talks to us about is that we are to, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we are to work out our salvation what does it mean to work out our salvation? It means to let the completing work of salvation be done in our lives. Let your salvation bring to completeness. It means that we are to become, it means to allow the completeness of God's work in our life to be done. That's what it means. To work out your salvation means to allow the completeness of the work that God is doing. What does that have to do with? It has to do with our consecration. It has to do with our sanctification. To work out your salvation is let holiness, let the holiness of God work in our lives. Let God complete what he wants to do in our lives. So we are to work out our salvation. How do we walk in this perverse generation and crooked generation? As we allow the holiness of God become more and more evident in our lives. How many know we've got to walk more pure than ever before? We've got to walk more holy than ever before. How many know we've got to stand on truth ever more than ever before? We've got to stand for righteousness. How many know we've got to come against the perversity of this world and this generation? How many know we've got to preach that God created man and a woman? That one man for every woman and one woman for every man. How many know God created us that way? How many know we have to preach the binary? That God created us for one another. We have to defend truth and, and to protect the truth. We have to walk. That's how we walk in this crooked generation. And number two, we walk holy. Number two, we walk humbly. I want us to look back at verse 5. It said, let this mind be in you, which was also Christ Jesus. What is it? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But listen what he did. Look what he did. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming into the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even to the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And at that name every knee shall bow, and those in heaven, and those in the earth, and these of the earth, and that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of the Father. What's he saying? The Apostle Paul is saying, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself and became a servant. How do we live in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation? One is we work out our salvation. We let the work of salvation become complete in our life. Number two, we walk humbly before God and we serve. We walk humbly and we serve before God. 
We walk humbly before him. We become the hands and feet to those that are hurting. We become compassionate and we walk before God with a humility like Jesus walked before God. He humbled himself and served. I'm telling you, we need to learn how to serve and to love in this hour. How do you overcome this crooked and perverse generation? Is by serving, by humbly humbling ourselves before God. When we humble ourselves, how many know God will exalt you? God will exalt us when we humble ourselves before God. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to walk in holiness. And the third thing that I want us to see is that we have to be faithful. Look at verse 16. It says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ to hold fast, to hold fast the word of life. What is the word of life? Well, it encompasses the embodiment of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It means that what? We are to hold fast. We're to stand for everything the Godhead represents. We're to hold fast the word of life so that we may rejoice in the day of Christ. In other words, we got to remain faithful. We can't give up. We can't stop. We can't stop preaching righteousness. We can't stop preaching salvation regardless of how bad things get. We may have to go to the streets. We may have to preach from our homes. We may have to preach from jail. But whatever it is, we have to remain faithful to hold up the word of life, the embodiment of who Christ is, the embodiment of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we're to be faithful. And then verse 18 says this. Paul says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. What is Paul talking about here? Paul is talking about not only should we humble ourselves, not only should we pursue holiness, not only should we remain faithful, but we should also be poured out on as a sacrifice that we're to pour out. In other words, we're to pour out our... The picture here is that they would take wine and pour out on the sacrifice and the aroma of that sacrifice would go to the nostrils of God. In other words, that we are to be poured out into God's service. We are to give ourselves to God's service. We're to give ourselves to the kingdom and the service of God that we may rejoice, that we may find rejoicing, that we may rejoice in our sacrifice. All of that is essential, but that's not the point. <laughs> All of those things are how to live but I want to share and close with this one thing tonight. And I want us to see this tonight. What is the point? What is Paul saying here? We're to walk humbly. We're to walk holy. We're to walk faithful. We're to, be, we're to rejoice in the pouring out of our service to Christ. But here's what was happening in the church. This is what was happening. Paul said this. Look, I want you to look at verse 14. He says, do all things without what? Complaining and disputing. And when you do that, that you may become what? Blameless and harmless. You know what that means to be blameless and harmless? To be blameless means to be walk with integrity and purity. To be harmless means to have innocence in our lives. And to do it without complaining or disputing. Now, this is interesting because... When we don't complain or dispute, then what happens is we become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. This is key here because it's almost like this stands out in the middle of this passage. Paul throws this in here. Do all things without complaining and without disputing. Paul actually is making a reference here to an Old Testament passage. Paul is reminding the church at Philippi, he's reminding them of an Old Testament passage where God instructed the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And Moses, at the end of his life, gives the children of Israel a warning. And he gives them this warning. And it's interesting here. The word complaining here 
means telling God about the situation or how bad it is. The disputing is interesting. It means being discontent. It means it, the actual word means to be discontented with sounds. Now, my dad was a grumbler. My dad would mumble under his breath when he got upset or when he complained. He, it means the word actually means to be like, you know, how many know people that grumble under their breath when they get upset? They get mad. They don't actually say anything, they just grumble. That's what the word means. It means to be with disputings. It means with grumblings. To be discontented by sound is what it means. It means to, uh, uh, this is where, listen, it means to be, uh, to be complaining means to be unhappy with your situation. I want to tell you, we live in the hour we live in. I'm not completely happy with where we are as a nation or a church or you know, we, we, all can, can, we all have things to complain about, right? But Paul says this. Paul says, remove your complaining and remove your grumblings and disputings. Why? So that you can become blameless and harmless and in the midst, and you can be faithful and holy in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will shine as a light of the world. This goes back to Deuteronomy 32, and I want to read that to you because I want to show you this in this passage. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses is giving his last speech. It's called the Song of Moses, and this is what Moses said to the children of Israel. He said this in verse 2, he said, or verse 1, he said, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. O hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teachings drop as rain and my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herbs and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Describe greatness to our God. He is the rock. He is, he, his work is perfect. For, all the, for his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. How many know God is righteous and upright? Greatness is our God. How many know he is a rock to us? His work is perfect. Verse 5, they have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse, look at it, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who brought you out? He, has he not made you and established you? Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. In other words, what, what is God, what is he saying here? He's warning them. He's warning them. And in down in verse 51, this is what Moses said. It's all telling. It says this, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. What is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying you lost your trust in me. You lost your trust in me. What is complaining and grumbling? We complain and grumble when we have lost our trust in God. I'm here to tell you how do we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We never lose our trust in God. I'm not going to lose my trust in God tonight. How am I going to live in a crooked and perverse generation? I'm going to live humbly. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live faithful. I'm going to rejoice in my service and my pouring out. But most of all, I'm not going to complain tonight and I'm not going to grumble. Why? Because God has us here for a reason. He has us here for a reason. He has put us here. And if he's put us here, then he's made this the purpose of God. God did not allow the children of Israel to be fruitful. In Exodus 5, they, they, the people groaned and complained about Moses. In Exodus 14, Miriam and Aaron complained about Moses and complained to God. And, and what happened was, is God said, hey, if you're going to complain, then you're going to suffer the judgment 
that comes with it. But I'm here to tell you that God is getting ready to give us the anointing to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Stand with me tonight, if you would. Pastor Adam, if you'd come. I want us to recognize tonight, my trust is in God. I don't care if the Muppets are in Congress. <laughs> my trust is in God. Matter of fact, I think the Muppets would probably do a better job in Congress. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I would vote for the Muppets, to be honest with you, today. And it doesn't matter if Mickey Mouse is our president. He actually is. I'm just teasing. No, he's not. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. What is the Apostle Paul saying here? I'll tell you what he's saying. The children of Israel lost their trust in God. We can look out over the landscape of the world and we can see all of the things that are going on. But I know one thing tonight. I am not going to lose my trust in God. I'm not going to lose my trust in Him. We're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray and believe God. You know, in Psalms 106, it describes the children of Israel in this sense. I love this psalm. You need to read this psalm this week. You need to go home and read this psalm and get it in your spirit. Psalms 106. It's one of my favorite. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation that I may see the benefit of your chosen one. How many know that all these things are true about God? That God is faithful. But as, as, we, as you go through there, all of those descriptions of God... God talks about the children of Israel. And then he said this, For the children of Israel, they made a calf in Hebron and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed the glory the glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one stood before them in the breach to turn away the wrath lest they destroy him. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, verse 25, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. In other words, God said, because they did not recognize all that God had done for them, they began to complain in their tents. And God said, had it not been for Moses standing in the gap for them, I would have destroyed them. They complained in our tents. How many know we can't complain in our tents tonight? I choose to remember all the good works that God has done. I'm telling you, America was God's idea. Y'all hear what I'm saying? America was God's idea. And if it was God's idea, it's God's responsibility to keep it. And he'll keep his church. And I believe God is getting ready to pour out upon us. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you that you're pouring out in this hour. We pray, God, that you will help us tonight. God, help us to realize that we live in a crooked and perverse generation. And our hearts are heavy because this last year has been very difficult. And we know, God, that our nation is in transition. But though our nation may be in transition... The church is on its way for a comeback. We are getting ready to be more powerful and anointed than we've ever been. We're about ready to do exploits for you and to give you all the glory. Because we are going to be people who are humble and people who are holy and people who sacrifice and people who rejoice and people who will live out conviction in the midst of this perverse generation. And God, we believe our trust is in you tonight. Our trust is in you to bring us through. Our hope is in you, God. You're in control of all things. We will just remain faithful. We thank you that we can remain faithful. <coughs> we trust you tonight, God. We remember your power. 
We remember who you are. I remember when you saved me. I remember when you delivered me, oh God. And I'm thankful, God, that I can continue to remain faithful to you. Let the joy of the Lord be the strength of the church tonight. Pour out your spirit on us. Pour out your joy into this congregation. Pour out your joy to those that are watching live stream. Let the power of the Holy Ghost hit us even right now. Holy Ghost, come. Pour out your wine upon us, oh God. And we thank you, God. We trust in you. We trust in you tonight. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.